ReachMD XM157, each hour at this time, presents a special series, Focus on Men's Health. Long-forgotten head injuries, a common thread in social problems? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and joining me is Dr. Wayne Gordon, the Jack Nash Professor in the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. Dr. Gordon is a Ph.D. psychologist and Professor of Rehabilitation Medicine and Psychiatry at Mount Sinai. He has written extensively on the psychiatric and social challenges following traumatic brain injury. Today we're going to be talking about long-forgotten head injuries and whether that's a common thread in social issues. Dr. Gordon, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit before we get into the meat of this, maybe a little bit about your own background and how you ended up interested in this area of research. I've been working with people with brain injuries for more than 40 years. This line of work was basically my savior in 1966, 67, when I graduated from college and was able to get an occupational deferment and was able to work at the Rusk Institute of Rehabilitation Medicine at that time when they got their first grant on determining whether folks who had sustained brain injuries could relearn cognitive skills. Wow, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. So while I was working, I went to graduate school full-time in order to maintain my deferment, and this is what I've been doing since. And the rest is history. That's right. (laughs) Well, disability secondary to head injury, how big an issue is it, and is it appreciated how big an issue it is? Well, there are really two types of brain injuries that occur. The brain injuries we know about, so those are people who are in crashes or falls or whatever and go to an emergency room and are identified as a person with a brain injury. There are about one and a half million people like that every year who sustain a brain injury. Mm -hmm. There are about five million or more people living in the United States with an identified brain injury. There are about 50,000 people a year who die every year from a brain injury. And the interesting thing about that number is that it's equal to the total number of deaths our soldiers who were killed during the Vietnam War, which occurred over many years. So the numbers of people who sustain brain injuries are large. And we don't really know the size of the group who's unidentified because there's no way of counting them. For example... It's estimated that there should be 500,000 children who have been identified in our schools as kids with brain injury in need of special services, and only 24,000 have been identified. Wow. You were quoted a couple of months ago in the Wall Street Journal talking about that kind of issue. You said that unidentified traumatic brain injury was a major source of social and vocational failure. Obviously, that kids issue is one of them. What other areas has your research led you to believe that that's the case? Well, we've done some work with the New York State Substance Abuse Agency, and we've screened about 800 individuals who are entering substance abuse programs here in the state. And about 50% of those have not only substance abuse challenges, but about half of them have sustained a traumatic brain injury. When we looked at this information and linked it with their records with the State Substance Abuse Agency, we found that these individuals had more admissions to the program and more complex psychiatric diagnoses. So A, these individuals are more challenging to treat, 
and more likely to be treatment failures because they keep on recycling through the program. You've been doing this for, sounds like, about four decades now. Have you seen many changes in the appreciation of those kinds of numbers, those kinds of unrecognized sources of pathology over the years, uh, say, what you see now in the social agencies versus when you first started out in this business? No, that's unfortunate. What I see now is slowly this is coming to people's attention. I think it's in part because of the war in Iraq and the number of soldiers who are coming back with brain injuries. It's the leading cause of injury in the war. And I think many of these soldiers coming back are going to be unidentified. And this is causing a lot of anxiety on the part of both federal and state agencies because their injury hasn't been identified. They're not going to have a service-connected injury, and they're not going to be able to get the benefits they need. And in addition, the folks who are unidentified will be having some of the significant cognitive issues that will either cause them to have on-the-job injuries and then be recipients of workman's comp or basically turn to the path of substance abuse or criminality. I know you've also done some work with the homeless and Common Ground. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've learned from that? Yeah, we, we did a some screening with Common Ground, which is a service agency in New York City providing homes for the homeless. And we did a screening with a group of folks and found that, again, about 50% of them had sustained a brain injury. And then we did a mental screening on the cognitive screen. And we saw that in those folks who had sustained a brain injury, their cognitive performance was extremely, extremely impaired. So the question then is that how could one then have expectations for these folks to be able to live independently in homes that they were being provided because they didn't have the cognitive capacity to do so? So in uh, people who attend addiction programs and people in homeless situations and apparently in other, you talked about uh, school children as well, there's significantly and maybe unexpected amount of folks with a history of brain trauma. That's correct. I suspect when you talk to clinicians, they bring up the issue of whether this idea is biologically plausible. That is, is there something we can see on testing? Is there uh, something anatomic that you presume has happened? Has your group or have you personally tried to connect those two worlds of what we see psychologically versus what happens anatomically? Or do you have any thoughts about that? Well, in people who sustain moderate to severe injuries, so those are people with significant periods of loss of consciousness or periods of confusion following their brain injury, in most instances, you'll be able to see their kind of brain injury on neuroimaging. For folks with milder injuries, in the overwhelming majority of cases, their injuries cannot be detected by current methods of neuroimaging. But the history is there. That's correct. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Wayne Gordon. We're talking about long-forgotten head injuries. Is it a common thread in some social problems? So, Wayne, I, I also read that some of the work that you folks have done had to do with door-to-door -door surveys and connecting a history of brain injuries with depression or other psychiatric disease. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we haven't done that, but that was, I think you're referring to a study that a colleague of mine has done, a neuropsychiatrist by the name of Jonathan Silva, 
who was involved in the Yale catchment area study of mental health. And this was a survey of about 5,800 people living in the New Haven area, a very good epidemiological sample of folks living in the area that's conducted every 10 years so they can basically survey needs for mental health services in various regions of the country. And in 2000, when this was done, they put in a question, have you ever sustained a period of loss of consciousness following a blow to the head? And about 7 to 8% of the folks in that survey self-identified. And what they found in that group is that they were two-thirds more likely to be on unemployed or working or on disability, were more likely to have uh, social problems, and unfortunately were four times more likely to have attempted suicide. I seem to recall, and I know this isn't your work directly, but I seem to recall a few years ago that a psychiatrist and a neurologist took a look at folks on death row in, I believe it was in New York, and found similar findings. Do you recall what they did? Yeah, they found that there was a relationship in death row inmates. There were three factors that were common in the inmates that they studied. It was paranoid schizophrenia, child sexual abuse by a parent, and traumatic brain injury. And so it sort of begins to beg the question as you look at all these groups of folks, just who exactly is the victim? Right. Let me ask you this. Do you think that medical students, uh, psychology students coming up through the ranks, our future clinicians, are sensitive to this knowledge and to this? Are they aware of these kinds of studies? No. Sounds like uh, we need to do something about That's that. That's correct. Do you do any teaching yourself? I do some teaching of our medical residents in rehab, but we have prepared some DVDs for such purposes that we have sent out to all the psychology clinical training programs across the country, and we're now embarking upon sending them out to medical schools, and I'm hoping to use these as a vehicle to getting entree into the curriculum for this kind of training. Yeah, I would think it's long overdue. It, the numbers that uh, you've shared with us, and I suspect there are many more, are, are hard to ignore. I assume you have opportunities to talk with your peers and other clinicians. Do you sense, I guess I would ask, a resistance to understanding this or are people surprised and say, wow, I've, you know, I've seen the light? Or Because, I, I mean, my sense as a clinician is that this stuff is not real obviously out there to practicing clinicians. I agree with you. And I, when I present this information, I rarely get any pushback. But the problem is... You know, where do you go in terms of now, how do you use your dollars? So if, for example, when we, in my vision, I would like all kids to be screened for a brain injury when they go to school initially and then have a questionnaire completed every year when they return to school about whether they were concussed during the previous 12 months. This information just goes into the school record and is there should all of a sudden this child run into trouble for either behaviorally or academically, we have something to hang our hat on that's likely to be forgotten. Now, the issue is that, A, somebody needs to pay for this screening, and then for the kids who identify who then need services, somebody then needs to be able to have the resources to provide the services. So I think it's a question of where you're going to put your money. Are you going to put your money on identification and use that as a means of prevention of failure? Because ultimately, these folks who are not identified are going to cost society dollars as well. 
or are you going to wait for them to fail and then pay the cost there? Let me give you an example. When we were working with the substance abuse group, the group we were screening, their average age was in their early 30s. For those who had multiple injuries, their age of their first injury was 14. If they had been identified at that point as a person with a brain injury, it's likely that their substance abuse could have been prevented. I want to thank Dr. Wayne Gordon for being our guest. We've been talking about long-forgotten head injuries. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, presents a special series, Focus on Men's Health. 